0: You're on. Thank you, Kelly. We're uh, we're going to jump right in and, and uh, piggyback on what Kelly was just saying, because uh, what what's required for a program like that to work is collaboration, where you're building relationships of trust, and uh, things are possible because of those relationships. Things are, are possible. Through collaboration that aren't otherwise possible, and these three men are up here because they've been modeling this in in very self-effacing ways. They have been modeling collaboration. I want to tell a quick story about that that, that kind of gives it fills out the concept of what we're talking about in just a minute, and then I'm going to start asking questions to where they can add illustrations of of the principles. So we're creating time and space at First Presbyterian Church for things like kids hope to happen. Uh, And part of what we need to continue to do is articulate, put into the English language, the principles of healthy ministry and mission. And one of those is what's behind collaboration. Let me tell you this quick story. So when I was in Chattanooga, there were a couple of organizations. One called Hope for Chattanooga. And the other was called Inner City Ministries. And our church had people on the boards of each of these organizations. And Hope for... Inner City Ministries was really a handout. A handout. Just sort of giving things away. And Hope for Chattanooga was a hand up. And we had had leadership on both these different involved in, in both these different efforts. And um, I was concerned about our deep involvement. We were giving a lot of money to inner-city ministries and not very much money to Hope for Chattanooga. And we, we were emphasizing the quick fix in inner-city ministries, and we weren't emphasizing the long, slow burn of of uh, Hope for Chattanooga. And I I mentioned this to the board chairs of these and uh wondered if someday we could pull these together and there was a crisis in inner city ministries at one point and these guys got together and they merged their organizations and they merged them around much healthier principles of uh giving a man a fish making fishers of men rather than just giving a man a fish and um uh, and About a year after this organization merged, they hired a new, uh, a black pastor who was leading this effort, and I went down to meet with him, and he vetted me, and he vetted me hard. It was like, he, he wanted to know, why did I want to meet with him? He brought a couple other people with him. He wanted to know what I was about, this guy from, on this mountain, you know, away from all the difficulties of the city. Um, he wanted to know, uh, and I never told him what I just told you. I never told him. Uh, but Because, um, I mean, I, I, all I did was plant a seed. I didn't have any credit for it, but I knew that what he wanted, what he valued, was the very thing that I valued and the reason those, those organizations merged. And, um, but I had to earn the right to be heard all over again. That was frustrating to me uh, on an emotional level, but it was necessary. And, uh, and so one of the things I've seen in each of these men's lives, uh, Ricky, Chris, Brian, they've been earning the right to be heard in Thomasville. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but after the shooting in 2017, uh, Ricky is the one who calmed everybody down. This, this town was a powder keg. Ready to explode, and uh, Black Lives Matter sent uh, their organization. Now, of course, we know Black Lives Matter as a as a mantra. It's it's a great thing, but the organization, part of the organization, came to to um, emphasize the anger part of this, and Ricky emphasized the hurt part of it and said, "Yeah, we're hurt, and we need to be heard." And these things, it brought to the surface things that were already there, but settle down. Let's have a longer conversation about this. Chris Granberry has um, walked, you know, he, he walked away from a very comfortable position to a very uncomfortable position, <laughs> and we all know what Brian has been doing, uh, building bridges in, in Thomasville, and especially on behalf of First Presbyterian Church. So let me, add, let me start with this question, guys, and, and you all just jump in whenever you want to, and we'll pass this mic around. Um, how does collaboration begin? Give some examples of what, where you've seen it start.
1: Well, somehow I wound up with the mic first, so I guess <laughs> I'll go ahead. And, um, yeah, I think this is a fantastic question, mm. and one of the things we talk with the folks on our staff about on a regular basis, and then people that come even for one week, is where we are, the context where we are on the, on the Yakima Indian Reservation, and down the Warm Springs Reservation down in Oregon, uh, listening I think is where it begins. And sort of you, I was laughing about you being vetted because I, that's <laughs> happened to me, very intensely many times. And um, but that's good because in in our context, I want the people in that community who have been there their whole life, who know the history and the culture and the stories way better than I do. We've been there almost 20 years, but. But they've been there forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want them to start the conversation, you know. I really want Mm -hmm. the conversation to be about Jesus as soon as it can get there. But I I feel like the people in the community that we're serving, if we're going to collaborate, I love it when they can start the conversation. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of listening, Mm -hmm. and I don't assume I know what the person's saying. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I've figured out working with Native people is we're all speaking English, but we're not speaking the same language. And so I, yeah. a lot of times yeah. I, I think I knew what somebody said and I really had no idea what they meant. And so uh, try to do a lot of listening. And then uh, uh, you also mentioned the uh, earning the right to be heard. Um, the way that we've talked about that a good bit is, let's see, sometimes I've heard people say you have to um, – earn the right to share the gospel with somebody and I, I think they're say, trying to say earn the right to be heard but it, and I don't really like to earn the right to share the gospel because mm. I think that's a command not, mm. not a right you know mm. but I do think many times you have to work really hard to get in a, an effective position or, or a position where you can effectively share the gospel within the context of the love of God like I think sharing the truth of God in the context of the love of God makes a lot more sense. Um, so that's not really collaboration,
0: but that's... But that's a start. You're, you're saying, uh, let them start the conversation. You want it to go in a certain direction, but let them start it. And slow it down. Listen, because you don't always know what, what they mean. Mm-hmm. And that can take some time. That can take some time. What do you think?
2: I was just thinking about it. Uh, collaboration or really the opportunities to collaborate for for me started with um, uh, back in, in 2011 when I first moved back to Thomasville after grad school, and I really felt God calling me back here. Um, and it started with a heart for unity and seeing the body of Christ come together. And so the only thing I knew to do as a, I don't even know what I was, 24 or something like that um, at the time, the only thing I knew to do was start going and, and visiting churches. Um, and predominantly African-American churches, and uh, just getting to know my neighbors. And, uh, and so I would show up at these churches. Uh, I visited DOJM, Disciple of Jesus, who was here last night. I, I started visiting them um, many, many times. Um, uh, St. Luke CME Church was another one. I remember at St. Uh, at Luke, I go in there, and it was, uh, it was Men's Sunday. And every all the men were wearing overalls, and I did not get the memo. Um, and but they just welcomed me in with open arms, and I built these incredible relationships. They even gave me the nickname of Snowflake because they said I was a snowflake in a coal mine. Um, but I loved it because I built these awesome relationships and got to know my neighbors, and and that really planted the seeds for me for collaboration. Um, I mean, a decade later, um, which was uh, beautiful. Matter of fact, it was at. Um, St. Luke CME Church that I met Bree Cunningham and her mom and her were singing a solo that day in my mouth she was 17 years old at the time. My mouth just dropped I was just blown away by her talent and anointing to lead worship and I was like come sing with us at this event and that started that relationship and now she's leading here at FPC So there were so many seeds that were planted there um, for sure. And, and I, I think for us as an organization, for Project Backyard, for One Heartbeat, um, at the beginning of our organization, we were all about, you know, we knew that God was moving. He had given us a vision. Uh, we wanted to run with it. And I was following a lot of models out there, um, different ministries that were all about stamping their brand on it. Mm. And so that was like, well, that's how it's done. Mm. Um, I was young, I was ignorant to all that, and I was like, well, that's how it's done. So we were really trying to plow through and brand everything that we did. And it was about 2012. Well, yeah, 2012, 2013, that we had a bit of a wake-up call, and said, you know, we're we're called to be these stewards of 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 donor money. Mm. Number one, Um, we know that we're using that for the mission that God's called us to. Um, and we can be so much more effective and make these funds that we're entrusted with go so much further if we're able to collaborate with mm. all these other organizations and churches that are already doing great work.
0: You've got some good branding, by the way, though. Really good. <laughs> I saw some of your shirts this morning here. What do you think, Rick- Ricky?
3: Well, First of all, uh, I don't meet any strangers. I... I love people. And, and I realized, and I found out a long time ago, that if there's going to be any collaboration, if there's going to be any level of getting things done, uh, you got to love the people. You got to get to know people. Have to build relationship with people so that, again, you can earn that trust. And just as has been stated about being vetted, really, I think that every time I have a conversation with people or I'm having a conversation with them, we're all vetting them in some kind of way, trying to figure out you know, who this person is, how their life is, how we see them, and understanding that, okay, this cat is pretty cool. This guy's really good. So now, as we get to learn each other and grow together as people, then we can learn that we have a whole lot of things in common that we can collaborate on and to make things better for our our community, for what it is that we're trying to establish. When I came to Thomasville, back to Thomasville uh, eight years ago, and uh, just pastoring a little church up on the hill there, and um, just ministering to the people there, ministering to the people there, and I never thought or how can I have a profound effect on the community or the city? Uh, I was just trying to minister there and did not know anybody really uh, too much in the city outside of the uh, normal people that I grew up with when I was a kid that moved away, moved to Carolina, came back. Came back, and and as Tim uh, uh, stated, that uh, in 2017, I think it was, when the unfortunate shooting happened here in, in our city, and, and one of the young ladies, that was her father, who had gotten shot, who was a member of my church, and she says, I want you to to preach the service. I said, oh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, I don't want to do that. I mean, I'm seeing AKAs walking down the street and... And all of this commotion, the city is in a whole world. No, no, don't, don't throw me into that. I don't want to be thrown in that powder bar. No, let me stay on the outside. But the Lord kept dealing with me, kept dealing with me and talking to me and saying, I, you need to do the service. Then I'm like, oh, my, I'm getting called in by the uh, uh, chief of police and all the officers coming around to sit down. I want to hear what I What, what are you going to say? What are you, you going to say? Uh, calls from... Uh, the, the black community. What are you gonna tell them? You know, we we uh, what we got it. Hmm. I don't want to hear from none of you all. I don't want to know. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to talk to what the Lord is saying. And the Lord gave me such a profound word on that day. I don't know if I've ever preached that way again before, but He gave me such a profound word that I think that it spoke to not just the black community, not just the white community, but it spoke to the Thomasville community. Mm. For us to understand that we are all in this thing together and that it's going to take all of us working together, it's going to take all of us loving together, and from that point, that, in some way, gave me a a voice of credibility. Mm. I met Ben, I met Doug, I met Brian, I met Tim, I met so many people that I had no idea that was gonna come out of that situation. So the Lord took a negative Mm -hmm. thing to bring a positive thing out so that people can learn my heart, learn what it is that uh, we was all needing to do and wanting to do in the city, which gave me an opportunity to sit on the board with the mayor as an honorary member back in those days, and all of these opportunities begin to open and we begin to collaborate because now we see that we have some things in common that we all want as a whole community, not just the black community, not just the white community, but as a community of Thomasville that we all want, that we all need, and that if we just continue to lay aside our preconceived thoughts mm-hmm. and get to know each other, and get to come together and and listen and not think we hear what we hear. Mm-hmm. And things can become much, much smoother and have an opportunity for us to grow. So out of that came me beginning to work uh, with the CTI. Out of that came me to be collaborate with uh, First Presbyterian Church. Out of that came me to have build relationships with so many of you in the room. Out of that helped me yeah. in, involved to work on one heartbeat with with, with uh, Brian, and, and and not only that though, but also you guys coming to where I am. Mm. See, see, a lot of times, you know. All right, hold if on just a second. Me, I want to
0: ask you about that now, and keep the mic. First of all, I didn't know that that people in the city were trying to step between the preacher and his sermon before uh, before oh, yeah. you preached it. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. You don't do that. Oh yeah, don't come between the preacher I, I, and I his I sermon. Answer, don't you, uh, I don't want to. Hear. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, But uh, a friend of ours, uh, Beth, my wife Beth just told me this the other day, that a friend of ours says that every marriage is Mm cross-cultural, right? Isn't that funny to think about that? Mm -hmm. Every marriage, you know, man and woman come together, they get married. It's a cross-cultural marriage. They're coming from different backgrounds. So when we come to you and we serve with you, or when you come to us, it's Mm cross-cultural. So tell us, give us some insight about maybe... How your people, how your uh, congregation feels when we come into the room, or when we're uh, coming alongside you? What are the things that we can do to make that situation work well for it, for you all and for us?
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, let me say it works well, and this is why. One of the main reasons why I believe that when leadership shows leadership and open arms, then this is almost like giving a license or freedom for everybody else to say, we're pastors with them, mm. we ought to be with them. And mm. it allows us to, again, know each other better, like when we had the, the breakfast thing mm-hmm. over at, at the biscuit company, how all the men would come out to, to collaborate and be with other men of other cultures to come to find out, you know, it, it, hey, We really are a whole lot alike, and we really share a whole lot of things in common, and we really want the the same things, so it helps tear down preconceived ideas, help tear down barriers, and we just are excited, overwhelmed whenever you guys come to where we are, because a lot of times, some people think, well... Well, if you're going to them, that's all right. They don't want you to come to them. They want mm. you but they will never come to us. Mm. But see, that's the difference. One of the great differences with First Presbyterian Church, you guys come over. I mean, mm. we had such a wonderful mm. time with the men's ministry. I see a whole lot of the men that was there and just cooking out and eating and talking. Mm. That builds the morale and builds the confidence mm. and it builds the trust and the love between cultural lines to say mm. that, you know what, so that as you stated on last night, That when you may hear something that oh man that's kind of off cut but I know that guy, so Mm -hmm. no 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 you can't make me believe something different because we built relationship we've spent some time I know that guy and so the more that happens with each other in our cultures I think the better we we become as a community.
0: That's good. Uh, Let me let me just underscore something you said. When we came to you. That's what you said. When yes. we came to you, that made a huge difference. A
3: huge
1: difference. All
0: right. All right. Let me, uh, what do you think?
1: <laughs> My mind's spinning. There's a lot of yeah. good, a lot of good things uh, I'm hearing up here. Um,
0: let me change the question just yeah. for a minute. Let, we all have strengths when we come uh, into each other's cultures, when we go cross-culturally, we all have strengths. How do we bring our strengths? How have you seen on the, on the reservation in particular? How do you bring your strengths, knowing that your strengths might diminish somebody? How do you bring your strengths without mm. diminishing other people's strengths? How do you help elevate other people's strengths and bring your own? Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a great great question. Um, so where, where we are, uh, and I'm not an expert on Thomasville per se. I've been here maybe uh, job, four times, I think, over the years. I love, I love everything I know about Thomasville and all the folks here. It feels like home to me, really. Um, And there's actually been times where Mary and I, maybe we were having a bad day, and we said, you know, if we had to leave the res and move somewhere else, where would you want to go? And I think I usually say Thomasville. um, We'll uh, take you. Thankfully, we don't tend to have a bad day on the same day. That's a good thing. (laughs) But, but, uh, yeah, one of the things my wife has pointed out And I wish she was here to tell you this because she's better at talking about it than me. She's a very, very strong person, um, as you can probably imagine, to move to a place like the reservation and be there as long as we have been. And we've taken in kids uh, who've been through horrific things. We even have one now. That's why Mary's not with me because we're raising a a little girl who's been through just a horrible, horrible childhood. and, And Mary couldn't leave her and come with me. Because, uh, you know, we just weren't sure that she would be okay. So um, <laughs> that's my alarm going off. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so way over there. Um, so anyway, but what Mary says about, about our strengths, at least in our community where we're serving, a lot of the people that we're reaching out to and even people that we're wanting to collaborate with, they are serving their community from a place of weakness. And we wind up, I mean, if you're there long enough, you wind up in a place where you're poured out, you're spent, you're empty. I mean, Isaiah 58 talks about that. Philippians 2 talks about Jesus emptying himself. You, you wind up where you're spent and you're empty and you're, you're also coming alongside <laughs> someone who is probably a leader of some sort in the community but is wiped out uh and you're wiped out and and again that's and Jesus says my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Mary has said more than once to folks, you know, she feels like we're called to serve from a place of weakness, not strength. Uh and when we first moved into the community where we are, Mary and I had some strengths. Um they got used up real quick. I mean, those those strengths have been gone a long time, I would say. Um, mm. I haven't felt strong in a long time, um, and so anyway, I, I don't really think I don't even really think about strengths anymore. Seems mm. like, um, but I guess seeing Jesus's strength made perfect in our weakness—that mm. nowadays that may be more what we're used to. Um. So I'm not really answering your question very well. I don't think. Oh I yeah, took you it in are. A direction. Uh, <laughs> I think
0: I think we're with you for sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and and here's the thing too, though I think is it's okay, <laughs> mm. it's okay to, to outrun our strengths, and to be trying to embrace something mm. that God's doing, that there's no way in the world you can mm. get your arms around. You can't micromanage. If you're really involved in the kingdom growing, you can't micromanage mm. it, and and. Th- I learned, when I come to Thomasville or come on a trip like this, I learned from folks in this church who have been talking to folks on the res, stuff that God's doing in my church that I hadn't even heard about out there yet, mm. you know, and that's kingdom stuff. Mm. That's not, that's not mm. threatening. Uh, that doesn't mean mm. I don't know what's going on. That means God's doing stuff that I've never, you know, one day we're to heaven and, and learn all kind of things that he was doing behind the scenes that mm. we had no idea, you know, so, and so I don't want mm. the ministry to be small enough for me to get my arms around it mm. and control it. Yeah. So, you, so, can so you're... To, you can get used to being weak. You can get used to mm. where it's okay mm. to, to just take it one step at a time.
0: Sounds pretty freeing.
1: Yeah, in a way. <laughs> it is, yeah.
0: Well, you're saying the way you bring your strengths without diminishing other people's strengths is be part of something that's bigger than all your strengths.
1: I think so. And, and another key word I've heard from all, all you guys up here is community. And it reminds me of a quote from Tim Keller. He said, what did Jesus come to earth to do? Did he, did he come to write a book? No. Did he come to start a seminary? No. He came to create a community. Hmm. Like one of the very best things we can possibly be doing in our lives is joining with Jesus in drawing a community together. And, of course, we know from Revelation it's a very diverse community every tongue, every tribe, every nation. If we're, if we're involved in that process that Jesus drawn people into his family, into community, in spite of our differences, that makes it more beautiful in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's worth it. It's worth the effort. It's worth, it's hard. It, I mean, cross-cultural stuff is hard, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, one of the key things about cross-cultural ministry that we talk with our folks about too is when you first encounter something that's different, uh, Deep down in, your, in, deep down in your heart, it feels wrong. Yeah. It may not be wrong. Yeah. There may be a perfectly good, good reason to do something this way, but you just don't know what the reason is. Mm-hmm. And I could give you lots of examples from the res. So you see something and you're like, that's wrong. You should not do, people should not be doing that. But then if I explain to you why they are doing it, you're like, oh, that makes a ton of sense, mm-hmm. you know? And so if our knee-jerk, we have to fight those knee-jerk reactions. When we're in a cross-cultural situation, we have to rein it in, slow down, gather more information, and entertain the fact that just because it just because it's not the way I grew up doing it, doesn't mean it isn't the way it ought to be done. Yeah. Um, there's another little quote that said, "Well, and this is especially for folks in the quote-unquote dominant culture." And I guess mm-hmm. being on the reservation where I am now, I would I, I identify with that—that that I'm mm-hmm. part of the dominant culture in in America. Um, But when you're part of the dominant culture, I've heard it said we need to recognize that not all other cultures are failed attempts at doing life the way you do it. Mm. And and
0: golly, wow, that's good.
1: I
2: don't know. uh, How do you follow that? I mean, that's that's powerful. Well, the thing that the your question brought up to mind uh, for me was when. When I moved, well, so I had moved back to Thomasville in 2011, but I was traveling back down from, uh, from Nashville uh, several times a year because we would host these events, and, uh, you know, through One Heartbeat, and uh, one of the events that we do was called Become One, and it was a united worship gathering, and I remember we featured various choirs and, and worship bands and things like that, and... I remember after um, the event happened, a guy named John Cook, I know some of y'all might know him. I'd known John in high school and, and he comes up to me and, and the context of this was, I mean, I grew up here in Thomasville. I was in one act plays, I was in the Brookwood play, I was in music and drama troupe, and John Clark knew all that. And he comes up to me and he said, Brian, I thought this event was gonna be the Brian Watt Show. And he said, "Thank you for proving me wrong," because I, I didn't. I didn't. I think I spoke once in the event, but my heart coming out. So I, so I sort of anticipated that being my hometown, and so the way I responded to that was almost overcompensating and not standing up at the front, but using that platform that our organization was creating to to give give a platform to various. Pastors and worship leaders and other leaders in the community, um, you know, for for the mission, for the for the cause of uniting people, and I, I think that sort of carried over. I and I almost do that sometimes mm-hmm. to a fault. Um, sometimes I have to remember to stand where God tells me to stand. But when I was coming back from Nashville, I was like, well, how can I take all this stuff that I've been learning and bring it to serve the community of Thomasville, and not be perceived? as like i'm i've got the answers you know and and i didn 't have all the answers, but i didn 't want it to be perceived as that, so um really, the way I approached it was uh just giving a platform to others and using the strengths that I have to mm. to lift up others versus lift up myself
0: good one, good one ricky i 've got a question for you it 's a little different um, what is in your in your congregation in your culture what do you love that you don't see in other cultures that you'd love to share like what's a, what's something in about your church and about your culture that you just love and you think boy I really wish that everybody I mean I can think of several things but I just want to hear what what you what you would say what comes to mind like golly I, I really love this about us and if every church were to do this, um, then well, they'd can, be a happier church.
3: Yeah, I, I can think of, uh, of several things as well, but I'm going to stick with one in the context of, of the church in the context of serving and worshiping the Lord is that we, when I say we, I'm talking about the cultural, particularly of black people, is that when we go to worship, we putting it all in. <laughs> Emotions, rhythm, moving, shouting, singing, crying, we going all in, not just spiritually, but emotionally and physically, we putting it all in. I tell people, hey, tell tell your neighbor, we shout over here in this church. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that we put it all in and it brings, you, you open up yourself in such a way that you lose yourself mm. and you open up yourself to the spirit. You're not mm. trying to be conservative, you're not trying to be, you know, you know the right, you know, mm. being a, what's the word I'm looking for? Decently and or nothing like that. Yeah. You, you're trying to, Lord, here I am. And, uh. and, and, not, and, and you said something very good uh, um, that I like, though. And, and piggybacking on that, he said, just because that's how I do it, mm. we do it, that doesn't mean how somebody else may do it is wrong mm. or bad mm. or it's just different. Yeah. But man, if you if, if you shout, if you get a little praise in your life, I promise you, you'll feel better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if but, you get a little <laughs> dance in your life, I promise you, you you'll feel better uh, because <laughs> it 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 brings it it lifts. It lifts you up. It lifts. So particularly as we to churches and worship. I think worship we agree
0: and, after last night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, we are agreeing. I, mean,
3: I, I, I would say what Tim <laughs> says privately to me, but I don't want him to. You know, when we talk about, it, and I hear people talk about Presbyterian church, and we love Presbyterian church, <laughs> but we know just, y'all are y'all are called. You know, out the joke the frozen chosen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But so just getting in and putting your all. Mm-hmm in emotionally, and and in the music, and the song, and in the dance—it's uh, hard it, for us, Ricky. Oh, you can it's do hard. it. It's hard. I've seen it done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> so, so, but again, a lot, a lot of it is cultural. How, how that um, we are just raised yeah. weird up and, and things of that nature. And 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 again, uh, um,
0: I've had this thought that wouldn't it be fun if we did a. Collaborative early morning um, sunrise uh, Easter service.
3: That'll be wonderful.
0: And then I thought, well, who's going to preach? Who's who's going to lead the music? What's it going to look like? And how long is it going to last?
3: Well, (laughs) that's it. See, that's it. Absolutely. When we go in, you know, I mean, the time is off. It's suspended. <laughs> We're going to start on time, but I'm not going to tell you what time you're going to end. So there's no, it's no five minutes of worship, no ten minutes of prayer, or whatever. No, no, no. It's just in till we get in. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, that is exactly right. But, Tim, I, I, I got it. I got it. Okay, uh, Brian could do the music, I will preach. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we'll have David's choir come over, you know, just so many,
0: but it's just, it's I'd rather be a door holder in the house of the Lord. That's, that's,
3: that's what it is. That's what it is. And so it's just enjoyable really in all aspects uh, of, of being able to worship freely and just open up and give, but I give you all. And so that's, that's That's one thing that, that, that I think we do well. Thank you. I know I do anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We know it too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Uh, I think we're, we're wrapping up our time, but uh, you've given us a lot to think about. And how about uh, thanking them for what they're doing among us? Trust your brother.
4: All right. You got Mike. All right. So, folks, uh, Sunday morning, April the 9th, at sunrise, we're going to be at the amphitheater. Ricky Monroe, he's going to bring everybody. We're going to start dancing. At uh, what time are we going to start, Ricky? You told me to give us a start time. I can't wait. I've already sent a note to the city. We've reserved the, the uh, amphitheater. <laughs> so why not? I think that's an excellent idea. And I really want to see Tim Philston dancing while we're doing that. So, <laughs> All right. So, you know, um, what, a, what a great conversation we just heard and i think the key there is humility i think that you know lead with humility is is such a theme when you sit through this weekend and you come back and you go on a mission trip and you and you spend time with the true leaders of our church that's really what permeates that's really what you see that leadership so much takes place face to face and taking a back seat and and taking time to uh to just hear to listen and there's so much of that goes on and in all the places that we we reach and we reach in a lot of different ways and if you listen to the stories yesterday when when uh jay was talking about haiti our first trip to haiti we took water filters we took buckets and filters and told them how to deal with that. They would walk two and a half miles down to the river to get five gallons of water. I remember one lady came and said, you know, Doc, she was 80 something years old, my neck hurts. Well, of course, you've been carrying five (laughs) gallons of water on your head every day for your entire life. Water. In Cuba, each of the churches has a water filtration ministry. They line up every morning with jugs and everybody comes to get the water. The Mary Medical Mission is just, I can't even, I don't know how many millions of people now have fresh water because of the effort of the Logans of all those people that have gone over there. And it, and if you just stop to think, it is such a theme for everything we do. You know, you can go for weeks without food. You can go about a week with you know, just full exposure, not necessarily cold, but but you think of it, you need shelter and food, water, you might be able to go three days. It is truly, it is truly part of everyday life everywhere you go it connects us all and water is so important i picked up a couple of verses i want to share mark 9 41 for truly i tell you whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of christ will by no means lose the reward and this one i think is really really suited here like cold water to a thirsty soul so is good news from a far country. That's what we're about. That's Proverbs 25.25. 25. A gentleman by the name of Todd Luke, who's an attorney. By the way, you all know that 99% of attorneys make the other ones look bad. Think about that for a second. Todd's one of the one percenters. Todd is an attorney from Chicago. He has a heart about this big and a what he calls a pretty wimpy body. And he is, excuse me? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Ben's somewhere in that crux of one to whatever. Uh, well, you know, and, uh, Todd, we, we love you too, Ben. But Todd, uh, Todd just felt a call, and, and he, he works in Chicago with immigrants, and he works with people that can barely pay if they can't pay, and he does that every day, and that's how he funds his life. That is what he does because he feels that calling. And he felt a call to go to Mexico, and he went to Mexico, and he ended up in a little town called Spoo Hill, which is almost, almost in Belize. So you got to go all the way down the, the country of Mexico to get there, and you're less than an hour to the next country. That's how far south it is. We flew into Cancun. It was five hours on the main road, which is somewhat laughable in itself. But, but when he got there, he came with all his ideas, and he said, here, let's go do this, and we're going to make honey. And that didn't work out so well. And then he said, we're going to raise sheep. And he said, that was really not a good idea. And they made hammocks. And but through this, as each step came along, he said, you know, there's so much more here that's needed. And they're in a country down there in that countryside where you can't drill a well. it's everything's limestone and if you ever get to water it comes out so laden with limestone that the the local legend is you can't even boil beans in it it is so laden with chemicals so they use surface water and there's no rivers and so what he found through his time there was that cisterns where you capture the water and this goes back thousands tens of thousands of years that cisterns work and cisterns work really well in that environment, but they had to build them. They had to build them above ground, and they, they have to capture the water, and they do that. And so he, he put together a ministry with the local church to do that. And the men of the church now, that's a ministry of their church, and they do that. And our kids, we took a group down there 14 years ago, maybe 15, Timothy Schoonover. Uh, I don't really know how it was introduced in our church, but Timothy took a group, and, and our kids were the first ones to experience that from our church. Um, they go and you work and you leave your plan at home and you leave all of your leadership skills and then you go and you carry buckets and sometimes it's five gallon buckets of water and sometimes it's five gallon buckets of rocks and five gallon buckets of sand and you help build these cisterns and you become the laborers for the people that really know what they're doing and it's an amazing place it really is it just opens you up to what the world really is like and it's the cross-cultural things that that chris was talking about earlier and that that pastor monroe was talking about that you're you're in a yard with people that really have very very little but there's joy there's a lot of joy there's they feel your presence they feel what you're doing they feel how you come and how you serve and you lean into them and the team that's there driving this process really simple men but they really really know what they're doing and you take a step back and you allow them to guide and you take that time and you end up with just an amazing trip that that opens so much of who you are and you know these cisterns can a family of a 5,000 gallon cistern can live for about half a year it's just gathering rainwater and that's that water that comes from afar now we can't all be there we can't all travel we can't all do that and we, we gather funds every year. We've paid for 30 or 40 cisterns now through our process, through our mission conference. And we've actually built 20-something cisterns because we go and we're present. This past, uh, gosh, how long have we been back? I guess we've been back two weeks, one week. My toes still hurt, so it's only one week. Uh, but, but we were led by a, a young man that has felt the calling since he was very young he uh Tyler our associate pastor I, I saw a picture his dad shared with us and that Tyler Tyler standing in a, in a behind a podium in an old country church at 10 years old bringing the word and it just looked so natural so Tyler came and he led our group including his dad and he truly showed leadership Tyler come on up here and tell us about the trip
5: All right. Well, I don't have anything really to share that Jay didn't already just share. So uh, I'll just give you a few points about our trip. So um, one of the special things about this trip was that it is uh, traditionally a student trip. Uh, So this was one of the first time that we got to take a men's group down there. Um, And just a few things that... uh, I think all of us were really impacted by the six of us who went down there. Uh, first and foremost, that like Jay said, uh, Todd really isn't in charge down there. Todd is our mission partner. He's who we support, but he'll be the first one to tell you he's not in charge. Uh, there's a man named Victor. You'd see him in the white hat uh, who's in these pictures. Uh, he is in charge, and he and the members of this church in Castilla Brita, we got to serve in the um, village where... Uh, the mission started, uh, they are in charge. And Todd really, uh, you've heard this phrase probably this weekend one or two times, he just throws kindling on their fire. Whatever they envision they need to do in the way they need to do it, uh, Todd just wants to be there to support. And so this mission really is owned by them. They decide who gets the cisterns. They're pushing it. Uh, Todd has just come and he wants to be a resource. He wants to support uh, in whatever way he can. Uh, one of the stories that I loved That kind of came out of this. Uh, There actually were a couple, but this is a generational impact kind of ministry. Todd's been doing this for so long. Two of the cisterns that we built while we were down there were for kids who grew up in a home that Todd built cisterns for. And so, just this generational impact that Todd's beginning to see because he's just been a faithful presence in Mexico. And perhaps one of my favorite stories from the whole week is uh, the fourth house that we would go to every day. Uh, the owner's name was Juana. She's a single mom. Uh, her husband uh, went into the military and then decided never to come home. Uh, and then her oldest son, uh, abusive. And so she basically had distanced herself from the church in Castillo Brito, hadn't gone in probably about two years, uh, lost contact with Todd and a lot of the other people in the church. Uh, but the church in Castillo Brito, uh, Victor, Isaías, Raul, made the decision that we're going to go build her a sister. And See, these cisterns are very, like, you know, highly regarded and very, you know, everyone wants one. And so for them to make the decision, you know, we're going to go to her. We're going to give her a cistern. Just shows how they're showing the love of Christ uh, by pursuing the lost and the the outcast. And hopefully, and Todd says, that was an important moment to bring her back uh, into the life of the community, into the life of the church. Uh, One more thing I'll say uh, is that uh, on the last night when we were kind of reflecting on this trip, Uh, Victor is kind of the the head honcho, but he's 65 years old, Uh, and so he has kind of two guys who are kind of being trained to kind of take his mantle, uh, Isais and Raul, and Todd made the really interesting comment. He's like, when you ask them about their ministry, uh, they won't call it ministry. In fact, they even hesitate to call it a calling. They just view this as simply being a good Christian and simply being a good neighbor, and uh, I've been reflecting a lot on that because They're giving up a week's worth of work in a poor, dirt area where they are farmers. Oftentimes, they'll give it up during planting season, which is probably the most labor-intensive and the most fruit, you know, you know, the money is, you know, the most important at this time of year. They'll give it up weeks at a time to build cisterns because they believe that it's making an impact in their community, and they won't call it a ministry, and they won't call it a calling. It's just simply who they are and a part of their life, and I think it's so interesting to think how sometimes we take ministry and service, and we kind of put it over here in this compartment, and we kind of think, okay, this is ministry, this is service, and then this is the rest of my life, but how much it just infuses everything about who they are as people and how they love their community well. So uh, this is a really powerful trip. I can't speak enough of Todd. Uh, we will be going back uh, either you know, next year or in a few years uh, with students, with other people Um, And so, hopefully, you'll get the call uh, to come join us.
6: All right. I'm here this morning to invite you to join a mission team going to Kenya in July. Um, I've never been on this mission trip. And back last fall, Stu Ross, who heads the Outreach Foundation, came. And my son William went in 2008, the year he graduated from high school. And I introduced myself to Stu as William's mother and so forth and so on. And he said, well, why don't you come to the lunch? I said okay. I hadn't planned on doing that but um, I did and I went and while he was talking I just found myself thinking well I could do that. I could do that. That's something I could do. I've never, Lori Star, and I've had this conversation before, I never really felt nudged or led to do something like this but I thought this might be the time to do it. Um, the Outreach Foundation is a long established organization uh, that has whose mission is to engage followers of Christ for his work in the world. And the work has been going on in Kenya through the Outreach Foundation for decades, I believe, and many, many teams, of course, from our church have gone over the years. Um, And we partner, they partner, our churches like ours, our church too, uh, with the Presbyterian Church of East Africa and the purpose to build structures for worship and for um, schools for education. Stu Ross reported in the video that was shown last week that there are 78 churches on their list to build. And in July, our team will be um, building a small church as well as some classrooms. We take buildings in which to worship and go to school and everything for granted. You know, we don't think twice about them unless the roof leaks or something. Um, And when my son William went, I remember he came back so impressed with how grateful the people were to have a structure, a building in which to worship and gather, and how the children there, this, this really impressed him as a high school graduate, <laughs> I think, um, how the children yearn to go to school. As I understand it, um, there's not public education in Kenya. People have to pay to go to school, but when a building is built and equipped um you know there's no overhead so to speak for the families and they can it makes education more affordable for children and how you know our kids complain about going to school these kids want to go to school and and have the opportunity um and he came back very impressed with that uh he said that the church the church and the school that they built were in two different locations just out in the middle of nowhere you know not in an urban area or anything and he said when they came um when they when it came time to dedicate those buildings, he said people just seemed to materialize and they would come and be a part of the celebration and the worship services. Um, out of and just they were so grateful and thankful to the people, you know, that their team for doing the work and then you know just singing and praising God. And and he uh, talked to him last night and he said that continues to impress him um, that experience. Our trip is scheduled for July 13th through 25th with a couple of travel days on either side of that. Right now, I have committed to go along with Brian and Melanie Jackson and their four sons, but we need more people to go to make it a viable trip. And so I encourage you, if the spirit is nudging you, if you have that little inclination of maybe it's your time to go, um, we would encourage you and invite you to join uh, this opportunity. Uh, to serve God, working alongside Christians in another part of the world. Just this morning, Becky shared an email with me that um, came from there. Apparently a very, very large donation was made to build a school there that um, will be a boarding school, primarily, I think, for girls not primarily, but for girls. And they write, we are hoping that this school will change lives and change communities. All those leaving this school will have can't scroll have uh can't read we'll have the education and training to be community christian leaders so as we have a space to worship we have a place here to grow we have a place to go out and serve so also will this give others an opportunity to have a place to worship to grow to learn, you know, in school and to serve and to go out into their world and to change the world. Um, Brian Jackson is coordinating this trip for our group. If you have any questions, you're welcome to ask him. Ask me. Becky Crane is very well informed, you know, as the chair of the uh, Global Missions Committee. So we invite you and encourage you uh, to join us this summer in July. Thank
7: you. Um, I was asked to introduce Ben. And I'm sure everyone in the room knows him quite well already. And, you know, it's dangerous to send me up here without a script. So, Ben, you're, you know, no, I'm not going to roast you. No, I i do want to say um, I've gotten to know Ben over the years. Um, I knew him when he wasn't a member of First Presbyterian. We played a little church basketball against each other, and that was a lot of fun. A little competitive, but we had a good time. Um, ben is... Uh, Coordinating our trip, we have a we have a kind of an exploratory mission trip uh, in uh, late August to go to Germany um, to see if we can figure out a way to partner with uh, a church in that area that is ministering to um, Iranian exiles that are coming from Iran into that part of Europe. Uh, looking for an opportunity maybe to partner with a a church, kind of create a sister church relationship. Um, And Ben, you've got, uh, I think you've got a video. For for those who may have uh, been here in previous years, Sasan Tavasoli, who has been the head of the Presbyterian Church in exile in Europe for several years now, uh, he's he's over the Iranian Presbyterian Church, uh, couldn't be here with us this year but I think you sent a, a video message. So with that, um, if y'all want to queue up the, the video, that'd be great. Brothers and sisters, that
0: first press yes,
8: Thomas it's it's Thomas I am a missionary with the Outreach Foundation. I'm working with the Iranian world and you have been supporting me as your missionary for the past 15 years. Some of you might remember my trips to First Pres during various mission conferences over the years. And for all these years, I've been telling you about what, what God is doing in Iran and among the Iranians around the world. How Iranians are thirsty for the gospel and are coming to faith in Christ in just incredible ways. Now I hear that you guys are taking a group from your church and going to Germany to spend time with a group of Iranian believers in Germany. And I am so excited. I am so grateful for this upcoming trip that your church is participating in. You have heard about what God is doing among Iranians. Now you're going to see and witness it for yourself. You're going to see believers from Iran who left Iran because of persecution and yet have continued to remain faithful to God's call on their lives. You will meet many Iranians who were former Muslims, came out of Iran seeking a better life in Europe, but in Europe they heard the gospel and they trusted Christ. And so, as a result of leaving Iran, these former Muslims are now following Jesus and are growing in their call to discipleship and being a witness to other Iranian Muslims in Germany and in the European diaspora. You're going to participate and taste the Iranian worship, Iranian community, hear testimonies of how God is at work in their lives. And I will guarantee you that you yourself will be impacted by the faithfulness of God, by the wonders of Christ, by the goodness of the Gospel. And I am so thankful that you are not just relying on my words anymore, you are going to become friends with these Iranian followers of Jesus and develop your own relationship and partnership, possibly even a sister church relationship with an Iranian congregation. This particular congregation that you'll be visiting in Nuremberg, They are made up of uh, former Muslims, all of them, all the members of the church, except the pastor and his family, are first-generation believers from a Muslim background. And you will see their passion for Christ. And uh, you will be uh, finding out their stories and their interesting journey of faith. So again, I am grateful for this trip. I am thankful for the leadership of the church that is going to be leading this group. And I'm looking forward to hearing new stories of how you guys are going deeper into a relationship and partnership with the Iranian church around the world. God bless you. And I am excited to be part of this journey uh, as you discern how your church in Thomasville, Georgia can connect with the global body of Christ around the world. God bless you.
9: Amen. So as, as Safson had mentioned, that God's just doing such an incredible work over in Europe uh, the uh, there are about three different main processing sites for immigration in Europe um, one being Liverpool England uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands and then Nuremberg Germany and so as a result you have these huge populations of Muslims there Um, and as a result God is doing a, a massive explosion an evangelism explosion there so it's just exciting I had uh, I was talking to Sasan and he had he had mentioned that the Iranian church is the fastest growing church right now in the world. Isn't that incredible? I mean, beyond India, beyond um, China, it's just amazing. And, um, and so one of the reasons why Sassen isn't here is he's on his way to Turkey right now. Uh, he's leading a ministry team to go in and train young pastors, new pastors. Uh, to train them, equip them, and they are either going back into Iran and pastoring underground churches, or they're going back across Europe uh, to pastor uh, new church plants. So if you'll join me, let's just pray for them. They're literally going over right now, that God would empower them. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the sauce, and we thank you for the Tom Boone and the Outreach Foundation. Lord, for those that are going over, we pray that you would empower them. We pray that uh, that you would be bringing fresh bread and fresh water, and that uh, as they go in and are equipping others, that that uh, that these pastors would spread and just infiltrate Europe. That they would infiltrate Europe and transform a, a hardened heart. Lord, over a continent, that they would transform a hardened heart and that your spirit would flow and that you do your perfect purposes in them and through them. We pray for the redemption of Iran. Lord, we ask for a, a revival there, of new life of your work in Jesus name. Amen. Um, we're kind of at a loss for time. I'm going to I'm going to kind of jump through here. But um, we've, of course, our church has supported Sasan for approximately 15 years, and his ministry has consisted of either training pastors over uh, in Europe with new plants, or they're doing a broadcast ministry into the underground house churches in Iran. The uh, these underground house churches will put up secretly, put up a satellite dish, and grabbed the ministry message uh, and, and training from Sassen and the church is exploding. So it's just really exciting. Um, Heather and I had, had chaired the world mission conference back in 2020 and Sassen was a, was a um, main speaker there and it was just an incredible experience. Um, If I had to describe Sassen in two words, I would say he's anointed and empowered. Um, in the process, we got to become friends with with Sassen and Kenna, um, and so before Christmas, Saxon was telling me about what God's doing, how the Holy Spirit is moving in Europe, and as he got done uh, telling me, I later got a text from him, and and uh, he said, "You got to form a team, and and come on over with me, come over." And so I texted him back and said, "Are you serious? Like is this a is this a real invite or or is this like our Thomasville invite where they're like, "Hey Rick, let's go grab dinner sometime." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's do." It. Um and uh, he said, "No, I'm I'm serious." He said the need is great, the Holy Spirit is moving. Um, you know, I think John had spoken on Thursday night of that the that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so I talked to Tim and Powell and some others, and, and uh, the conversation just steamrolled really quickly. We got permission from the session. Um, team was put together. And so our, we, we got a hold of, of uh, the Outreach Foundation. I'm kind of jumping through my notes here that uh, our mission here's what they're looking for our mission team to do. It, to travel to Nuremberg, Germany, uh, to witness what God's doing amongst the people, to meet with Pastor Sarkis, who is the head, of, he's the exiled head of the Iranian church, of the Presbyterian church in Iran, and, and speak with him about what's on his heart regarding a, uh, a sister church relationship opportunity and then for us to just join in in the outreach and ministry opportunities that are there with our fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So in short order, all that's kind of coming together. We're looking at a late August trip to Nuremberg. Um, I don't know if, is Doug if There's Doug back there. I haven't even told Doug, like all this is coming through. I just realized, as I'm talking right now, I'm like, I haven't even mentioned this to Doug and I'm going out of the country in August. Um, <laughs> So and I and I have even told my one of my paralegals I'm 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 like having to bring her the news so you can pray for great grace when I um but our mission team's going to involve approximately twelve members. Uh the Philstons are coming and one or more of the Watts back there. Brian's coming. Uh we have about four members of the session, their spouses, a couple of others that are coming along with with uh, Tom Boone of the Outreach Foundation, we are really excited to to see what God has for us and through us. I I was um, considering and saying, well, what what are we asking of you all as we're sharing this? I would ask for earnest prayer. Uh, and and John again spoke of that. I would ask for earnest prayer for the Iranian for the Iranian people. Um, I would ask for prayer that we're spirit-led and and biblically grounded in all that we do. I would ask for prayer that we're on God's agenda, uh, that we heed the advice of the angel of the Lord to Joshua and say, it's not about you, your side or their side, it's about you guys getting on my side, and um, that we would heed that advice. Um, As God is apt to do, that's our focus, but God always expands the breadth of the focus, and so we just got some news that um, Sassen was supposed to be the main speaker at a at a Iranian pastor and believers conference in Nuremberg um, when we were going to be there. Well, he's not going to be there now, but they need main speakers, and so he said, hey, you guys can do it, <laughs> and so we're like, oh, yeah, that's awesome, so we're going to do it, and uh, so we're going to bring our loaves and fishes to Jesus and expect him to to do what he what he always does. Um so we're real excited about that. We feel like God has formed this team. And I don't say that lightly. Um and finally I would just ask that you pray about where God's, you know, Barbara's talking about Kenya. And is God calling you to a mission this year or or beyond? Um again, I think a prayer that's just been on my heart to be praying is I'm like, Lord, what's your agenda for my life? What do you what would you have me do? You know, I have I have some desires of what I think I maybe ought to be doing, but but what what's on your heart for me? And and I just ask that you would pray that whether it's the the um, mentorships or the mission trips or what how God's involving you in our church that uh, that we just say lord let us be your hands and your feet and it's it's such i've just been overwhelmed this weekend of what an honor it is isn't it honor to like serve with the lord like to be called by god to come alongside and be his hands and his feet his ambassador like he thinks enough of mike that to call him to be an ambassador to ethiopia or an ambassador to the countless things that Mike's involved in. And what an that's an honor. It's an honor. And so um so let's let's just approach it that way. But I you wouldn't be here unless unless you have a heart for missions and a heart for the things of God. And I just it's a a blessing to Heather and me to be part of part of this church body. So thank you.